Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday, July 6th, so the NBA Finals will start tonight. But on Tuesday, we do draft deep dives here on the NBA Deep Dives podcast. So I'm here today with my co-host, hashtag basketball draft expert, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing today? Nick, I'm well. I'm excited for the NBA playoffs. The Euro tournament is a ton of fun, and tomorrow is the withdrawal deadline for the NBA draft for college players to keep their eligibility. So after tomorrow, uh, we should be getting a clearer picture of who's staying in this draft and who we have to look forward to next year. Yeah, the early entry deadline coming up has certainly meant some interesting news coming through on the college basketball front over the last couple of days. But today we're going to talk about three players who certainly seem more than likely to keep their names in the draft. And the first is someone who Tyler and I are not particularly high on, as we showed in the mock draft last episode, and also in the fact that we're only getting to him here at the back end of the first round projections of Tyler's top 75. So we're going to talk about Jalen Johnson out of Duke, who is an athletic power forward type who does have pretty solid passing vision, very good grab and go kind of ability, good rebounder. But interestingly, he was in the 69th percentile offensively overall, 74th percentile when you include possessions plus assists, but only in the 47th percentile in transition, which was interesting for me, given that his most obvious NBA-level skill seems to be his grab-and-go ability. But Tyler, what are your thoughts on Jalen Johnson and his game, his strengths overall? So I I understand why so many people have Jalen Johnson in their top 10s, and for some people, even their top five or six, because theoretically what he is is incredibly valuable as this athletic stretch four who can do a little bit of everything unfortunately i only see that in theory i what i what we actually saw in practice was extremely underwhelming to me um you mentioned the transition stuff i i do think he's better than i know it's kind of hard to say that he's better than the numbers because the numbers are what happened but i i do think he'll be better in the open floor than he is necessarily in the half court offense at least creating for himself but he keeps being touted as this extraordinary athlete and that's something that i really struggle to to see everything he does seems really stiff and robotic and Yes, he can jump really high, but he doesn't necessarily explode off the ground. It isn't this quick twitch leaping ability. It's not, he doesn't have these side to side dribble moves to the, where he can change direction on a dime. And I think a lot of that is misrepresents what he's being pegged as because he's being pegged as this guy who can create off the dribble, who's dynamic athlete who can you know really really punish defenses with his athleticism and really i i don't see that i see a stiff ball handler who can't change direction well and struggles to beat pretty much every defender off the dribble well i think that's you know sort of a the main reason why we're lower on him than most other people is you know what you talked about with how he can be really good in 
bursts. And, you know, that I think is where his athleticism shines. You know, when he gets out in the open court and he's just running up and down or, you know, when he's getting put back dunks and that sort of thing around the rim, you know, he has a lot of athleticism in ways that are easy to see. But, you know, as you mentioned, his difficulty getting side to side is going to be a lot more of a problem, especially in terms of creating space at the NBA level. And, you know, ha- having this awesome transition game is important. You know, we, we see how absurd Giannis is in the open floor, not comparing the two, just an example. But, you know, w- once you get into that half-court offense and the lane gets clogged up, like, there, there are so few me- straight line drive opportunities that guys have, unless it's attacking closeouts while the defense rotates or something like that. And with Jalen, I don't buy... Jalen Johnson as a shooter as much as some people do either. So I don't anticipate defenses having to close out super aggressively to him, which really limits how many straight line drive opportunities he'll have. And if he's not getting those, I don't see an easy way for him to be getting points. And, you know, the other area where that's a lot more of a problem is on the defensive end, where he was in the 21st percentile per synergy on defense. And, you know, his relative lack of flexibility and his weakness in sort of doing anything outside of straight line drives is a lot more of a problem when, you know, you have to make rotations and try and move around on the floor. You know, he's certainly not going to be a drop back by the rim center type. And so that's going to be really important for him to be able to switch on guys. I I think I'm a little higher on his defensive projection than you are. I I think he, I, I, I agree that he, that same stiffness carries over to the defensive end. But I, I think his explosiveness is a little more on display, at least as a weak side shot blocker, where he just has to rotate over from the opposite dunker spot or communicate. I, I think he was a pretty good communicator on defense, but I do agree that in open space, I'm a little more hesitant on it when he has to make multiple weak side rotations. I struggle to really buy in on it, but I, I think that as that weak side rim protector, that's probably the best area of his game where he can really fully utilize, you know, his, his true leaping ability. So let's flip back to the offensive game for a moment, because I do want to talk about his shooting now on the absolute most surface level possible. You could say, well, he was a 44% three point shooter, but That was shooting 8 of 18, which is a sample size so small that it really doesn't bear mentioning. And, you know, he also shot 63% from the free throw line, which, you know, again, that's not 100% an indicator of shooting prowess. But, you know, that to go along with the incredibly small sample size of three-pointers makes me think that you can't really buy into his shot as being all that great right away. Now... That being said, the mechanics on it do look solid. You know, he's not flaring out crazily or anything like that. So I could maybe buy into his shot in the longer term. And certainly if he hits the kind of upside that some people project from him, it's going to require him being at least an average level of shooter. But I don't want to project him being a good shooter or anything close to that right away just based on 18 three-pointers in a college season. And to add on to that, 
his his synergy numbers when shooting off the catch he scored 1.647 points per possession which was in the 99th percentile unfortunately he only had 17 of those possessions so say he misses two shots instead of making them that plummets off the dribble he scored 0.182 points per, per possession only on 11 possessions that was in the first percentile so with every shot he took his numbers drastically swung using the percentages i don't think you can we can really project what type of shooter he's going to be i don't hate the mechanics it feels a little segmented to me where his lower body and upper body aren't extremely fluid it seems like he jumps and then his upper body goes that i i think that's something that's that can be correctable because like you said there is isn't significant elbow flare. He holds his follow through. The the basics are there. He just needs some refining. The free throw percentage truthers are will harp on him being in the 60s. It's not a great outlook for him. And when I think of big men developing as shooters, I I, I try to compare Jalen Johnson to Evan Mobley, where technically Jalen Johnson's shooting numbers were more impressive it was on such lower volume though and just going through the basic eye test when I watched both of them shoot I really never thought Jalen's shot was going in and I almost always thought Mobley's was going in the the form the confidence the fluidity how they got into their shots how they released it it was just it was night and day so we don't really need to talk that much about Jalen Johnson's season at Duke. And there were certainly some people who were rather upset with the way that it ended. Really the biggest problem for me with his Duke season was just that it meant that it was such a small sample size, which is leading to these issues with, you know, trying to determine what kind of a shooter he really is. But, you know, it is at least something that will be discussed the way that his exit from Duke ended up going and you know he did show I guess enough to be still a highly touted prospect even in that small sample size but that could have gone better in a lot of ways I think is the best way to put it yeah I I agree on on the surface I I don't really care that he left early I think that stuff tends to get overblown Um, I do think it's worthy to note that that trend of him bailing on teams was pretty consistent all throughout high school as well as he essentially kind of switched teams every season. So all of that together, it's not a great look, but I, and I I don't, I think that stuff when it gets overblown into character issues and all that nonsense that you, that the national media or bigger platforms spew out because they need something to talk about every day in July I think it just gets overblown. It's not something I'd be super worried about. Um, and that's it's only going to come into play if he's really good and actually has the weight to demand a trade or something along those lines. But if he sucks, then he's going to have to play out his contract. And either way, he's going to be under a certain year of contract. And it's you, you can't just bail on the team. He could have done it better. I wish he would have just shut things down, said he was hurt, stayed around the team. Overall, don't think it's that big of a deal. So before we wrap up on Johnson, just sort of a 
quick best guess at his ceiling and floor. And we'll go into his ceiling a little bit more later on, but just sort of super quickly. I think that, you know, there is a reason that people have him in the top tens or maybe even higher in some rare cases on their boards. And it's because, you know, when everything goes right for him, it looks like he could be a potential all-star. The flip side of that for me is, you know, if his shot tends to be more of a 30% shot, say he missed two of those 18 three-pointers that he made and he was a 33% shooter, if even that turns out to be, you know, a high mark for him, then if his shot doesn't develop and, you know, his stiffness is more of a problem on defense than it might be outside of weak side shot blocking, I mean, there's a world where he could fall out of the NBA pretty quickly. But, you know, on the flip side, even though I think both of us are pretty low on his chances of actually reaching it, he does have that kind of all-star level ceiling. I definitely see the all-star ceiling. I just envision that as being his 98th percentile outcome, where others view that as his 80th or 75th percentile outcome so i just think it's way less likely because i think there's a lot of work to do his awesome games like against copen state and against pittsburgh are some of the best college games you'll have seen throughout the entire season unfortunately the rest of his season was super underwhelming and when that when i have a bigger sample size of bad than the incredible two three games of awesome stuff you know i i I lean towards what's what what's happening more regularly well someone who certainly was a lot more consistent this past college season than jalen johnson is the guy we have up next in jared butler out of baylor and you know he was the most outstanding player of the ncaa men's tournament and baylor won the national title so you know it's hard to have much of a better season than that and you know for Jared Butler he's got really great handles he's not really a primary point guard type I don't think in terms of passing but he does have some really solid passes in his book in particular he's a very solid lob passer not much of an at rim scorer that's kind of the weakness for him but great with kickout passes once he does get into the lane where his really good handle is a huge help for him he was in the 79th percentile offensively for synergy, 92nd percentile possessions plus assists, and 72nd percentile on the defensive end. And, you know, Mark Vidal and Davion Mitchell were kind of the defensive stars for Baylor, I would say. But Jared Butler is also a very, very solid defensive player as well. So, Tyler, what are your thoughts on Jared Butler's strengths? Or j- just for transparency there is the whole looming heart issue that took butler out of the combine however we're not doctors we don't have access to all of that so we are proceeding as if he is healthy and if he is healthy he is an awesome player i i love how this kid plays the game like you mentioned his, his ball handling is maybe the best in this class he never puts his eyes down he always has his head up he sees every inch of the floor he isn't a super dynamic playmaker but his and he always has the ball on a string and that allows him to do so much more than a player of his size and athleticism necessarily should be able to do 
it doesn't create the same scoring opportunities like it does for a Trey Mann or Cam Thomas or Book Knight, but it just it, it it exudes this sense of calm and control, and he's always effectively running the offense. Even more impressive than that is how good of a shooter he's been these last two years, and this year shooting off the catch. He was in the 98th percentile off the dribble, 77th percentile. He he's just such a good basketball player. I I know that sounds simplistic and basic, but it 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 really is what personifies Jared Butler as a basketball player, and he's just good. Well, you mentioned that, and I think you know that's a very good way of putting it yeah i did that on purpose but you know (laughs) the thing with jared butler is as you saw with him playing alongside davion mitchell as a lead guy at baylor but you know also the fact that he is a solid passer he's certainly i would say an above average passer for an off guard type you know he's not that big but you know he is good enough on the defensive end that you don't have to worry about him getting run over like a lot of smaller guards you know it's just hard to find an environment where Jared Butler doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, even if he's not a fifth starter type, you know, it's certainly hard for me to see a world where he doesn't find at least a solid role for himself at the NBA level, assuming, again, as you mentioned, that his health issues don't turn out to be career-ending. I And I, I think that's the best way to put it. And it he's just one of those players and one of those point guards where it is, you have to try to find a situation where he won't work rather than try to find one where he will, where half the teams you can easily see him starting on and solidifying that point guard game manager type role. And the other half, you can see him coming off the bench and taking that second unit to the next level with his defensive intelligence and ball handling and shooting so he doesn't have extraordinary upside because he is an older guard and he isn't the biggest guy he isn't the most explosive athlete but he is this really solid really intelligent efficient effective guard who i i just have a really hard time envisioning him not having a successful nba career And, you know, the other side of that as well is that as the league tends to be sort of trending towards larger playmaking types, you know, Jared Butler as a guy who can play off a Luka Doncic or a Kate Cunningham or someone like that, you know, that's a really solid role that makes a ton of sense for him as well that, you know, isn't as much of a traditional role right now as it might be in the league five years from now. Exactly. And his ability to prove that he doesn't have to be that on-ball initiator every possession this year, I think is extremely valuable to his overall draft stock because he proved that he can play in any rotation, in any situation, despite who's alongside him in the backcourt. And if if it is another ball-dominant guard like John Morant, just for example, Butler's shooting and defense balance well with that. If you pair him with a Luca or Ben Simmons or LeBron, then his off-ball shooting and defensive versatility and intelligence pairs perfectly with that. So it's it's tough because 
the way we're talking about him, it sounds like he should be a top 10 pick, but he just doesn't have that upside to continue to grow tremendously or enough to warrant that top 10 pick. But talent-wise and where he is as a player right now, he he's really, really impressive and just a really, I'd, I'm going to say safe, and that sounds like a negative, but it's not. He's just a really safe, reliable I think surefire player um, and a really good value in the first round. Yeah, you mentioned the idea of not really having him in the top 10 because he doesn't have sort of star upside. And that I think is a good way to transition about sort of talking about his weaknesses quickly. And I think the biggest one that we both see in Butler is I'm not sure he's going to be all that great at scoring around the rim at the next level. You know, again, he's not a particularly big guard. He's got a great handle but he's not an explosive athlete and you know ultimately he's gonna be able to score effectively at the nba level just as a really great jump shooter you know someone scoring from the outside but for him to you know become a superstar player he would have to get so much better at scoring around the rim and you know given his age and where he is on his sort of development curve and just given where he is as an athlete, it's hard for him to it's hard for me to see him sort of making that next level leap as an at the rim scorer that he would need to have the upside that you'd want out of someone you'd take in the top ten. It's a very similar situation to Davion Mitchell, where they're not the biggest guards, they're not the most explosive guards, at least in terms of leaping ability. So their at rim impact is just really lessened and Butler also just has an average floater, so it he doesn't really have that as a reliable counter to getting to the rim either. And and he, he only averaged three free throws a game this season, so his game wasn't reliant on getting to the rim. Him being as efficient as uh, of a scorer as he was really speaks to how good of a shooter he was this year, but those shooting numbers will come down in the NBA. They do for everyone. And his inability to really pressure the rim or get to the line just dilutes how impactful of a scorer he'll be at the next level versus what he was at Baylor. I mean, the other difference there is that Davion Mitchell has maybe the best first step in this class, whereas right, Jared Butler right. does not have that. Right. That's I tried to specify with leaping ability at least but yeah sure. the 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 first step disparity between the two is completely different so jared butler had a pretty good season at baylor i would say you yeah know, yeah I, I mean obviously that wasn't just him but you know it's especially funny that he's the player that we're talking about immediately after jalen johnson it's it would be hard to find two college seasons that went more differently than the two of their seasons went for them as prospects, but also their teams in general. Yeah. And it's a great kind of juxtaposition of drafting potential and drafting what could be versus drafting what is and what you know you're going to get, because I I think it's not exactly a bold statement to say that Jalen Johnson's future growth potential it far surpasses anything where butler projects to be but when you look at them as just raw players right now they are butler is tiers above of where jalen johnson is 
And, you know, you mentioned earlier that you thought of All-Star as the 98th percentile outcome for Jalen Johnson. And, you know, that's sort of why I like having these brief ceiling floor discussions at the end of these prospect wrap-ups is, you know, the 50th percentile outcome for Jalen Johnson is so much lower than the 50th percentile outcome for Jared Butler. But, you know, if you're a team that's in desperate need of a superstar, you take those kind of swings, which is why Jalen Johnson is almost certainly going to go a lot higher than either of us have him rated on draft night. And, you know, Jared Butler is just someone who I don't think either of us doubts will have a lengthy NBA career, at least as a rotation player. If I had to bet on one of these two to make an all-star team, I'm, putting all my money on Jalen Johnson. If I had to bet on one of the two to win an NBA championship, I would put 95% of my money on Jared Butler. And I, I just envision, envision him as having that surefire role on, like we said earlier, literally any NBA rotation. And it five years from now, if he's the starting point guard on a contender who decided to build around two star wings, say like, in the same fashion as the Clippers or he's coming off the bench for a contender. I won't be surprised in the slightest. So we should, we've already touched on it multiple times, but just before we sort of wrap up on Jared Butler, best guess at ceiling floor. And I think his ceiling is right about fifth starter level, you know, as plays point guard on defense, but maybe is the secondary playmaker in the starting lineup for a team. On the flip side, his floor is one of the highest that I think you're going to get around this area of the draft, sort of the back half of the first round. I mean, I think his floor, you know, again, unfortunately, barring potential health issues that neither of us actually know about, you know, I think barring that his floor is someone who has like a 10 to 12 year NBA career coming off various benches that yeah I, I struggle to argue against either of those I won't surprise me if he ends up winning six man of the year at some point in his career I just he's just such a good well-rounded player and even if he doesn't significantly improve in really any areas of his game from right now he's still at a level of skill and efficiency and consistency where he'll be able to contribute to a rotation. All right. Well, someone else who I think we both believe has a pretty solid chance of being able to be a good rotation contributor, Miles McBride out of West Virginia and shock of all shocks. We're talking about a defense first West Virginia point guard who would be described by many people as quote unquote hard nosed. Does that sound about right? It's, it's so off-brand for them. Yeah, it, was, it really took me off, off guard. I was about to say, stop me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> but no, with McBride, I think you know that's the very obvious archetype that he fits into. But in watching some more tape of him in preparation for this podcast, I was surprised by how fluid he could look. And I, I emphasize could here, mm-hmm. but how fluid he could look on offense in certain moments. You know, he's got a solid enough handle. He's stocky. He gets to the rim very well. You know, he's got super quick hands, which is obviously more of a thing on the defensive end, but, you know, does help on offense. He's got a good hezzy dribble. He's got a pretty quick shot, which helps as well. 
solid turnaround jumper, 74th percentile offensively per synergy, but 93rd percentile in possessions plus assists. And, you know, he does have moments that look pretty good on highlight tapes, which is a little bit out of character for those West Virginia point guard types. He does have moments on offense where he looks super fluid and put together. I absolutely love this kid, and I feel like this is a safe space, but I'm really trying not to get to overbuy in and move him into my lottery because I've been tempted to. Um, I currently have him in the teens. I think he's one of the best guard defenders in this class. Uh, He's listed as 6'2", but he plays so much bigger than that. And that that defensive reputation that West Virginia point guards have, he has that as well. And he's earned that, but he, his offensive game is light years ahead of anyone that's come out of West Virginia from the point guard spot in recent years. Um, His ability to shoot off the catch is really promising. He was in the 92nd percentile shooting off the catch, his pull-up game. It looks solid. From the mid-range, it's much more consistent. From three, it still needs a lot of work. And his his jumpers off the dribble were only in the 50th percentile, and that's because he did struggle from behind the arc. But attacking off the pick and roll or out of isolation and getting to his spots in the mid-range, he was pretty reliable. And then he also has this old-school aspect of being able to post up guys. He was in the 100th percentile in points per possession on post-ups. Not a ton of possessions, so... You know, he's only 17, so that can swing pretty pretty significantly. But his comfort level in, in putting his back to the basket, bumping a guy a couple times, then knocking down a turnaround, was it was pretty consistent, and it looked comfortable. It didn't look fluky. He isn't a high-level playmaker, but he's he takes excellent care of the ball and really just rarely makes the wrong decision. He's just a, another just really solid player who I've been a huge fan of all season. This is definitely a safe space to give your Miles McBride is maybe a lottery prospect. <laughs> I, for one, had him 29th on my original big board. And, you know, I think this might also be a safe space for, for me to admit that, you know, I feel like that's too low already. And, Especially in the film study that I did for today, he, you know, his highlights really did shine through of like, wow, he has a lot higher of a ceiling than I sort of initially thought he did. You know, he has a lot more complete of an offensive game than I thought he did coming into this. And, you know, when you're already that high level of a guy on the defensive end and, you know, yeah, he's 6'2", but he's also, you know, Again, stocky is, I think, a good word to describe it, you know, not just in terms of getting a lot of steals and blocks, but also in the fact that it's hard to push him around. And that 100th percentile in the post thing, I think, is also really huge to mention because, you know, that I think is an opportunity that we might see more and more, you know, sort of the comeback of the smaller post player. You know, it's a way for guys like McBride to take advantage of smaller, skinnier players, you know, 
if he could carry that over to some extent by, you know, year three, year four of his NBA career, you know, he's got that solid turnaround and step back game in the mid range already. You know, he does do a pretty good job of getting to the rim and scoring and, he's at least a decent enough threat from the outside to sort of expand the threat of him at the other two levels of the game. So, you know, I, I certainly have my stock rising on miles bridges, you know, maybe not quite lottery level, but I think 29th definitely feels too low for him now. And in a similar fashion to Butler, I, I I don't see a situation where McBride can't play as that off ball guard as well where if the team has a larger primary initiator or another point guard i think he can play in that two two point guard lineup and because he is such a good shooter off the catch and he can make up and will make up for any defensive inefficiencies that his backcourt partner may have and his defensive tenaciousness on ball is so much fun to watch when you watch him off ball, he's constantly looking for rotations or passing lanes to jump or post up players to pick their pocket. He's so active and so intelligent and just in great position all the time. It's really, really fun to watch. I know I've said that like four times now, but it's, it's the best and most simple way to describe how how he plays. And, you know, the other thing with that is, you know, if you play him as a secondary type on the offensive end, you know, he's also someone who can be a primary type on the defensive end. You know, if you are, say, the Dallas Mavericks, you know, I go back to them a lot, but I think it's sort of easy to use Luca as a stand-in for this type of player. You know, if you want him to be able to hide on the defensive end, you know, as long as the other team isn't throwing out three six foot nine guys or something, you know, you could basically say, all right, Miles is going to take the tougher defensive assignment on pretty much anyone one through three. And, you know, that really frees up your primary guy if it's a Luca or if it's a Devin Booker. Basically, anyone from one to three, McBride can sort of take the tougher defensive matchup and basically mold his role based on the team around him, which you know, again, as we mentioned with Butler as well, makes it harder for me to see him, you know, sort of failing out because there are so many different potential roles that he could fill. What a shame that Dallas doesn't have a a draft pick this year. God, that trade has not aged well for them. Um, No, it has not. (laughs) Well, when thinking of potential fits for McBride and and as early as 14 to Golden State makes a lot of sense to me. I think he fits pretty nicely next to Steph even at 15 in Washington with Beal looks pretty good Memphis at 17 New York at 19 Atlanta at 20 Lakers at 22 there are so many fits or so many teams where if you add in this tenacious defender at the point guard spot who is an elite point of attack defender can take care of the ball on offense and knock down threes off the catch at a reliable rate I would be stunned to see what NBA team couldn't use that player. So, you know, he, he, he might not have as well. He, he probably doesn't have as big of an upside as most of the guys in the lottery, but I think the reliability of his play and 
is makes him a surefire NBA player for at, you know at least two to three contracts. So we should at least talk about some of the downsides with McBride as well, though. You know, I think the biggest one for me is just consistency overall. Playmaking, I think, is second because, you know, he's not really a primary point guard type of passer, which I think does limit him a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, really the biggest concern is he shows flashes of all of this stuff, but he doesn't really put it together as consistently as I would want from him on the offensive end, especially given how special he is pretty reliably on the defensive end of the floor. So I'm a little higher on his consistency, I think, than you are. Um, In the middle of the season, Oscar Shibwe left the team, and West Virginia's entire offense looked significantly better after he did that because they were no longer playing this too big lineup that completely clogged up the paint it gave mcbride more room to operate but he carried the vast majority of the offensive load for that team and in the nba i don't see him carrying that similar load i see it being lessened quite dramatically so maybe just in that sense i'm a little more optimistic with how consistent he'll be i I think the playmaking concerns are legitimate but it stems more from what you expect to get from him. If you are drafting him to be your primary playmaker and your primary initiator in this traditional point guard who's setting everyone else up on the team, you're going to be disappointed because that's not who he is. He's a good passer. He has okay vision, but he's not going to dissect the defense. He's not going to manipulate them and pass guys open like we see most primary initiators do now, but he will take care of the ball. He rarely turned it over his his assist to turnover ratio was really impressive, but it was making the simple play. It was making the extra pass. It wasn't the sexy full court skip passes that really pass guys open in an angle that no one but him saw. So he's not going to do that. And then the shot selection in college, I don't think was great. He took a lot of really tough jumpers, but I think that, again, alludes to what type of role is he going to have in the NBA. I I see it as being a lesser role, so I don't see him being afforded the opportunities to take as many of those shots. I think he'll be able to knock them down when he has to, but I don't think it will be something that he's actively hunting like he did in college. If it is, it's going to be a huge problem, um, and I, I think that's a pretty fair criticism of him. So before we move on, just sort of quick best guess at ceiling floor for Miles McBride and how we view him as a prospect overall. Ceiling, I think, is about the same as it was for Butler, honestly, as like a fifth starter and secondary guard on a playoff slash championship caliber team. The floor, though, I think is also pretty high. I mean, Honestly, every NBA team needs someone who can semi-reliably shoot three-pointers off the catch and play really good defense against guys one through three. So I think his floor is still, you know, solid rotational player for a team. But I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit higher on his ultimate upside than I am on Butler's just because he has shown a little bit more of an ability to sort of get himself to the rim and score there. But 
I think that's sort of what I see for his upside is like fifth starter kind of type with the floor being again, solid rotation player. I'm a little more optimistic about his upside. I, I, you know, I, I think he could be a third starter on a really good team. The floor is the sixth, seventh guy off the bench in a rotate or sixth, seventh guy in the rotation. And the big thing is how legitimate was his shooting improvement from his freshman year to his sophomore year, because his three point percentage jumped by 11, 11 points. He took more of them. So is on a higher volume, which is encouraging. Um, but his, his free throw rate also jumped about seven points from 74 to 81. So if, if those shooting improvements are legitimate and a sign of his growth, I think he has really good chance to be that third, fourth, fifth starter on legitimate contenders. If they were a little more fluky and just a symptom of him having this huge offensive role and he just had a hot season, then I think he'll end up pivoting into more of a defensive oriented guard who is really only used off the bench for 15 to 20 minutes a night. So a couple of things before we wrap up and your point about him being maybe a third starter is I think a good jumping off point here. So just to sort of quickly compare Butler and McBride directly against each other. Now that you mentioned that you think McBride could be a third starter type and sort of remembering, you know, what you said earlier about the 98th percentile for Jalen Johnson. I think that there's a chance that the 95th percentile upside for McBride is that maybe he develops better vision and can turn himself into a lower end all-star point guard. I think that that is a more likely outcome for McBride than Butler, even though I probably think that Butler's 50th percentile outcome is a little bit higher. I think that there is a small kernel of Miles McBride where he could really put everything together and turn into, you know, maybe even a lower level type of star player rather than just third best starter on a championship team. I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. Um, and as of right now, Miles McBride is the highest ranked of the three on my board, and Jalen Johnson is the lowest ranked because I, I think that that the the disparity between his absolute ceiling and his absolute floor is by far the widest for these guys. I think Jerry Butler's is the narrowest, and he's probably one of the ones that I'm most comfortable in projecting to be just a good NBA player. Um, but my, I think Miles McBride, based on where he is or where I view him and think he is in his development curve and what he could be and continue to improve on, I think are improvable skills, mainly that pull-up jumper from outside. Uh, he, he showed that he can do it from the mid-range, and I think with more reps, more experience, more coaching, all that stuff, the outside pull-up has the potential to take another jump so and if that does then his scoring variety in arsenal gets so much better so you know i that that is kind of a main driving force of why i have him as the highest ranked guy of the three right now and before we wrap things up given that we are both so much lower on him than the vast majority of draft people 
I do want to at least give us this opportunity to dig ourselves out of potential future holes <laughs> by talking about the potential upside for Jalen Johnson, which admittedly, you know, if he does end up falling to where we think of him and he becomes an all-star, you know, that would look awkward for us. I think the flip <laughs> side of him going eighth and us looking smarter for it is slightly more likely, but given his rebounding and grab and go prowess, given the fact that he's, you know, certainly not a primary type guy, but I would find it hard to argue that he's not at least an above average passer and creator for others, you know, there is a world where Jalen Johnson can turn the best parts of his game into all-star level play, which, you know, I think is certainly less true of the other two guys. I don't think that's really a hot take by me saying that, but, you know, as you mentioned, the range is just so wide for what he could become, but, you know, that does mean that the upside is potentially quite high. There's definitely a strong possibility that we're going to have to time travel and burn this recording. Um, but because I there are a lot of really smart people who are really high on Jalen Johnson. And I, I understand why, like I mentioned earlier, that game against Copen State and that game against Pittsburgh are two of the most impressive prospect games that you may ever see. He was utterly dominant on both ends of the floor, really good rebounder efficient scorer, good passer, just he put it all together. But those are the outliers for me. And what he is good at, if he can harness that on a nightly basis, he absolutely has the potential to be an all-star. And out of these three guys, he definitely has the best chance of being an all-star because he has the framework and the foundation to be that versatile two-way four and with his size his strength his athleticism if if he can piece it all together he could be a, a really really fun player and make me look really foolish all right anything else you want to go over here before we wrap things up um i i don't think so i, th I think we got those guys pretty good um and you know obviously we're lower on jalen johnson but that doesn't mean we're rooting against the kid. No, not Prove at all. me wrong. I'd love him to. The more good basketball players, the better. As far as I'm going to plug. Um, yeah, no, I was going to plug your Zaire Williams piece, actually, which came out today. You know, someone else yeah. who is definitely a serious home run swing, but the potential upside for him, as with Jalen Johnson, is tremendous. And certainly, I hope we... You know, I don't want to ever express rooting against a player unless I know that they've done something actively terrible. But, right. you know, I don't want to insult Jalen Johnson by saying this, but I'm really, really rooting for Zaire Williams, too. And that was a wonderful piece. So definitely go check that out. I appreciate that. It was a, it was a really fun one to write. Um, and if listeners haven't yet viewed it, I'd highly recommend going and watching Mike Schmidt's breakdown with him on YouTube. He seems like a super likable kid. Um, so def definitely one of those ones where it's going to be hard not to root for him. Um, working on a Josh Giddy breakdown right now as well. I am drastically falling out of love with Giddy. Um, so are you and... regretting him taking him fifth overall in the mock draft? Uh, a little bit because I think the shooting is 
way way off from ever being good um but you'll have to read to find out more um and hope, hoping to have potentially an updated draft guide out probably next week after we get these final withdrawal names um but those take a little longer to publish because a little more has to go into it on the back end and publishing. So hopefully in the next week or two, I'll have an updated 75 and then there'll be one more updated draft guide um, closer to draft time. All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T M E T C A L F one, one. You can find his work on Canisupis in addition to at hashtag basketball, where, again, you can read his piece on Zaire Williams that came out today, as well as the draft board updates when those are released. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated. And if you have any feedback about the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either on Twitter, N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, or via email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.